Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This morning we'll be continuing in verse 10. Last week we covered two and a half verses. <laughs> kind of slow. But let's, uh, let's open with prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things we can learn from it. Learn about um, how you teach us, how you uh, instruct us through life, and and today about how we can serve you in a way that will bring rewards for us, that you're, that you're gracious in not only enabling us to serve, but then also rewarding us for that service. Father, we just pray as we open your word that you'll instruct us, help us to understand these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, today to get our context, we will read uh, starting in verse 10 and go through verse 17. And if you don't want to read, you can just say pass. Okay. 10 through 17. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is just. I didn't get to finish. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but each one takes care of how he builds it. You paused. I was going to cough. You're pretty quick there. How many weeks I was ready? <laughs> sorry. Verse 12. <laughs> if, oh, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, <coughs> silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If any man's work burns, he shall lose, but he shall be saved himself, nevertheless, yet as it were by the fire. <clears throat> Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is the holy, is holy, and that is what you are. Okay. That's far enough. Thank you. You'll get to read this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so last week we, we looked at verses 8 and 9 and, and the, the issue here was they were divided over their former teachers or some who said, Hi, we're, we follow Paul, some we follow Apollos, some we follow Peter. And so in verses 8 and 9 we have an analogy, it's a farming analogy. And the point Paul is making there that... Um, you know, he says, he plants Apollos waters. He says, we're, we're in unity. We're, we're both working together to form, to get a crop. You know, we're not at odds with each other. We're cooperating and, and we have the same goal is to get this crop. Um, but he also says that, you know, even though each one works separately in a way, each gets their own reward. So he introduces the idea of rewards there in verse 8. And then he, he ends up by saying we're God's fellow workers um, or God's field. You are God's field. And so the point he's making there is, you know, you're not Paul's field. You're not Apollos' field. You're God's field. And God is the one who causes the growth. And so you worship and serve God. You don't attach yourselves to a particular teacher. But it's God that you attach yourself to. So then he also mentions, right at the end of verse 8, he says God's building. 
So he's changing to a new analogy. So he's gone from farming and now he's talking about buildings. And that's what we started looking at in verse 10 last time. Um, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. So Paul says, God in his grace appointed Paul to be a wise master builder. And we talked about how over the last couple centuries ago, um, you would have a large project and one man would be the designer and the builder. Gustav Eiffel built Eiffel Tower. It wasn't, you know, today, I mean, you're going to put up a tower in Seattle and you've got an architectural firm, you've got a structural engineering firm, and then you've got the mechanical engineers and HVAC and electrical and all these other things. Back in the good old days, it was one guy did it all. And he was, he was the master builder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, plus a fleet of inspectors and everything else. The French guy that, that designed and built so many things in Washington, D.C. Um, Lafayette? No. Anyway, I know there's a lot of things. You know, he, yeah. he was in charge of a lot in D.C. Yeah. No, I, just as a tidbit, Eiffel built the framework inside the Tower of Liberty, or uh, Statue of Liberty. So he worked, in that case, he worked with a sculptor. <laughs> he wasn't the sculptor, but he built the tower inside it. So he designed and built that as well. So um, being a master builder is a very prestigious, important position. So Paul has been saying, you know, Paulus and I were just servants, we're just so-and-so. And now he's saying, you know, I've got this position. Is, is he putting himself above Apollos here? I think yeah. he's giving credit to God for giving him right. this, this um, and, and he's not putting himself Apollos because you don't, he no longer mentions Apollos. As we go through, you know, from 10 on, he just says each man and every man. It's very generic. So he's not comparing himself with Apollos here. He's, he says, okay, Apollos and I were both in, in unity, working together to, as, as God's servants. But he's, he says here, you know, and, and we looked at it last time, you know, he says in, later in the book, uh, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. Mm-hmm. He's, he said, you know, I'm the least of those who ought to be saved. You know, in some places Paul says, basically, if God can save me, he can save anybody. He knows where he came from and he knows what God gave him. And that's why... Uh, verse 10 starts out, according to the grace of God. Um, Paul is, uh, we, we talked about true humility. Paul knows what God made him. He's just stating the facts. He's not bragging about it. So, Paul here is the wise master builder. What does he do? It says he laid the foundation. Um, Specifically, he laid the foundation for the church of God, which is at Corinth, because he is addressing the Corinthians. Paul also laid the foundation for the church in Ephesus, and Thessalonica, and Philippi. So, in a sense, this, this can be taken um, very basically, generically, to all the churches. He laid the, laid the initial foundation. 
And verse 11 uh, tells us what that is. Uh, he says, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ crucified is the foundation of the church. Let's go back to chapter 2. Someone like to read verses 2 through 5 for us. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message yes. and my preaching were not with wise and uh, persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Okay, so nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And that, it was, His faith was on the power of God. So that's the foundation. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised the third day according to the scriptures. That's what we'll see in chapter 15. That is the foundation. Um, and it's, it is the firm foundation. It's, our faith is not built like a house built on sand. It's not going to wash out from under it. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Someone would like to read verse 16 for us. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Okay, so here's the prophecy from Isaiah. So this is about 650 B.C., or 750 B.C., over 700 years before Christ. And so God, through Isaiah, say, I am going to give you this foundation stone, the cornerstone, upon which I will build my church. And, you know, this isn't the whole foundation that we read about in John 20, or Isaiah 28, but it's the, the cornerstone. That's kind of like... Um, when, when you do build a building, you have the surveyors come in and they set a datum point. The elevation, you know, everything's measured off that datum point. And that's so, what the cornerstone was. My verse has a word that changed her to believe in it, to relies on it. Relies on it, yeah. And that's what, <clears throat> believing something is not just intellectual assent. It means you actually make the decision to depend upon it. But it's included. So the cornerstone said of, said of everything else. Yeah. So you're relying on that. Everything. Right. I mean, you know, John 14, 6, where Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's the only, only foundation stone. Um, and Paul is rather adamant about this point of doctrine. You know, some things... You know, we can debate over, this is not one that's open to debate. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, would someone like to read verses 8 and 9? But even if we were we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, 
So now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Okay. So the gospel is Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. And Paul's saying, if you hear anything else from anybody, they're going to hell, basically. They're under God's curse. So there's no, no ifs, ands, and buts about the, the gospel. So this foundation analogy, we, we have it also in, a, in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And someone like to read verses 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building coupled together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are built together to be the habitation of God by the Spirit. Okay, so here again we see Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation. Now here Paul does not say he's the only one who laid the foundation. He includes the apostles and the prophets. There were other apostles to whom God gave the, um, revealed the mystery of the church age. Um, in this case... Uh, in Ephesians, the mystery within chapter 2 is that God would take the Gentiles and the Jews together and form this new body of, of the Church of Christ. And so that was what was uh, not revealed in times past. And so now it's being revealed through uh, Paul and through the other apostles. And that's the foundation of the church. Okay, so going back to uh, 1 Corinthians 3. At the end of verse 10, he says, let, let each man be careful how he builds upon it. How does he... So we've got the foundation laid. It's the gospel. What do we put on top of How do we build up this building? Um, so Paul's really exhorting this next generation of teachers and preachers and, and, and not just the communication gifts, but everybody who's involved in the church and in, in, in dealing with other believers um, about how they are to, to minister and build up on top of this foundation. Now, scripturally, we know, you know, in Corinth, after Paul left, who came? It was Apollos. So Paul left, and then Apollos came, and he continued to minister to the Corinthians. Or, uh, Pastor Robert's going over 1 Timothy. Where is Timothy going? He's going to a church in Ephesus. So Paul's giving Timothy instructions about when he goes to Ephesus. The book of Titus. Here's another young man. Paul is giving Titus instructions about going to Crete. That's where we... I don't know if you've ever heard people called Cretans. Mm -hmm. You Cretan, you, you know. Mm -hmm. That comes out of Titus. <laughs> he doesn't speak highly of the Cret Cretans there. <laughs> so this exhortation is to each man or to each one. And so it's not specifically directed at those three, but they're included in that. So, you know, all of us who minister to others to build each other up, 
are to be careful about how do we build on top of this foundation. And so we see this in verses 12 and 13. It says, Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So here Paul lists six different construction materials, and, you, and they're really divided into two different groups. Now the first three, uh, the gold, the silver, and the precious stones, they're all valuable. They're all non-combustible. <laughs> we'll see that's important. Um, and they're permanent. You know, we, one of the places gold is used is for electrical contacts because it doesn't corrode, um, which is a problem with electrical contacts. So they're, they're all uh, permanent. Um, now they do have different appearances, they have different values. I would much rather have a pound of gold than a pound of silver. You know, you've got a pound of gold and you're set for life, I think, just about. Um, it's had very high value. But when you look at the different individuals and, and people serving in the church, again, we're all different. We all have different ministries. We'll, and we get to chapter 12, you know, it says that, you know, the Spirit gives different gifts. We have, um, we're given different min ministries, different effects. So we're all a little bit different. And so you should expect the fruit of each believer to be different. You know, we're not cookie cutter people. We're not all stamped out to be identical to each other. We're not all evangelists. We're not all this or that. Um, there's a, there's a tendency in churches to kind of lean that way. The church I went to in Pullman, they emphasized the gift of being a pastor teacher. And so all the young men go into that church, they all wanted to be pastor teachers. And so a whole bunch of them, they went off to seminary. And a lot of them basically failed at that because that, it's not what God called them to do. The church emphasis was on that. And they got caught up in that, but that's not really God, what God called them to do. So, um, you know, we're all different. Don't expect everybody to be the same. Let's turn back um, to Matthew chapter 13. This is one of Jesus' parables about fruit. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to look at two verses here. One, verse 8, and then verse 23. Verse 8 and verse 23. Someone like to read those two verses. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And the one whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Okay, so in both these verses, we have good soil. These are people who hear God's word, they understand it, they respond to it, they obey it. There's no difference in that sense. But the amount of fruit produced is different. Why is that? 
because God different gives different effects. Remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. The, the different amount of fruit depends on what God plans to produce to a person. So, in a sense, our rewards are not based on how much fruit we produce. It's based on whether we're being obedient, whether our motivation's right, whether we're responding to God. Um, you hear stories about these missionaries that go off to some corner of the world and they labor their whole lives and get one convert. And then, that, and then they get replaced by the second missionary and all of a sudden everything breaks loose and they get hundreds of converts. So who gets the greater reward in heaven? Maybe the guy that labored for his whole lifetime and got one convert because he was faithfulness. So um, motivation is very important here. And so one of the things that we have to be careful of, especially in a religious sense, is... <laughs> Why do we do the things we do? Um, I use one of, the, one of my commentaries is John MacArthur, and he gives an illustration of uh, people going out from the church to all the surrounding neighborhood and handing out flyers to try to get people to come to church. Why do you do that? Is it because someone's twisting your arm and saying, you can get out and hand out flyers, or is it because you really want to see people come to church? When I lived in Tacoma, I went out with the church and we handed out flyers. And I don't remember being particularly caring about whether people came to church or not. You know, I don't remember what my actual motivation was, but it was like, you know, I was out that morning bailing aid. <laughs> and there was no gold or silver or precious stones. Um, you know, I'm not going to get a reward for that because I didn't care, honestly. Um, so. And again, I can't think back, why did I go out with this group? And maybe I just wanted to be part of the group. You know, giving money to a church so that your name goes on a plaque on the education wing. God's not going to reward you for that. If you really don't care about people being learning God's word and they give because of that, yes, you'll be rewarded. Um, you know, we've, we read that... Uh, in chapter 2, where Paul says, you know, he didn't come with eloquent speech. Uh, Paul, Apollos was much more eloquent than Paul. If, if I spent hours and hours polishing my notes so I sounded really good so that everybody says, wow, Darrell, that was really a great lesson, that would be straw. On the other hand, if I work really hard to try to make sure that you learn God's word so that you can profit from it, that's gold. So... A lot of it has to do with our motivation um, in, in how we're serving God and what we're hoping to accomplish. Pumping up your ego is, is not rewardable. <laughs> now, some of the commentaries uh, here, when they talk about wood, hay, and straw, they talk about the um, like false or heretical teaching or in dis disputes being under that category. And, and that's, that might be right, um, you know, the Corinthians had their share of strife and boasting and things. But I think that we'll, we'll cover that more in, when we get to verses 16 and 17. So, um, 
some of these works may appear to have value, but uh, Paul says they could be shown to be worthless. Again, we we already read First Corinthians two, where you know he talks about you know I did not come with eloquence and, and superior wisdom, um, but just the plain message of Christ crucified. So that's an example of those who come and they're. They want people to think that they're great preachers because they're so eloquent. And eh, it depends on why they're there, what's the message. Are they just trying to look good? So he goes on, he says, uh, again, we're in in, uh, verse 13. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it. The day will show it. What day is this? And he actually gives us more information. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll see what this day is called. The day when we'll be rewarded. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Would someone like to read those? So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for these things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Okay, so here is called the judgment seat of Christ. So you may read about that when when you talk about different judgments. This is the judgment seat of Christ, where believers go before Christ their works are evaluated. Um, and it's for recompense or reward. So we've got good works. Well, that corresponds to the gold, silver, and precious stones back in our passage. The bad works, well, that's the wood, hay, and, and straw. But he's referring to that day. Um, notice in this judgment, No one is cast into the lake of fire here. When you read Revelation chapter 20, where it talks about the great white throne judgment, that's where unbelievers are cast into hell. So, judgment seat of Christ, good thing. You want to be there, because God will reward believers for that. Great white throne judgment in Revelation. You don't want to be there. That's the second death. <laughs> so one's for us, one's good, one's bad. Okay. Um, going back to 1 Corinthians, let's look at chapter 4. Uh, someone like to read verses uh, 2 through 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 through 5. Through five, please. Okay. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will 
to Job, both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and that each man's praise will come to him from God. Okay, so the, the Corinthians, some of them were uh, basically judging Paul, talking about all his problems, about the things he should have done and didn't do or whatever. And, and so Paul is, he, in several places as we go through this book, he's defending himself against their attacks. Um, and that's why he says, you know, it's a small thing that I should be examined by you. You know, they were trying to evaluate him. And, uh, he says he de- doesn't even examine himself. So then he goes on and talks about when God does examine him. And so he's referring to this uh, judgment seat of Christ, although he doesn't use that term. Um, and he says, don't pass judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes. And he will bring light things hidden in the darkness. You know, God knows our hearts. He will judge accurately. He says he'll disclose the motives. So we, we talked about that earlier. It's not just how much fruit you produce, but what's your motive? You know, are you... Are you taking the gift, the spiritual gift that God's given you, using it in a place where he's put you, producing the results that he wants to see? And he is the one who causes the growth through that. So if you're serving God, not serving yourself or your ego, then he rewards that. Okay, so going back to chapter 3, you know, we had these six different construction materials, and I mentioned you have the combustible ones and you have the non-combustible ones. So how does God say he's going to judge these things? Well, he judges it with fire. The things that are not worthwhile, they just burn up and they're gone. Smoke and ashes, nothing's left. The gold, the silver, and the precious stones, they, they make it through this judgment, and they remain uh, precious, and they will be rewarded. And so this is an analogy that we, we do see throughout Scripture, uh, that things are judged by fire. You know, there's places where it talks about um, Israel passing through the crucible, and the dross floats to the surface where it's scraped off and, and discarded. And so God uses fire. He uses, he uses tough times in our lives and pressure and, and judgment and persecution so that those things which are really worthless float up and are removed. And so this is a, a, another instance of that. <coughs> I think I'd mentioned uh, at one communion, people ask, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, as Christians, bad things don't happen to us. They may appear to be bad, but in God's plan, they are all meant for our good. And it takes, it takes a while to get your brain around that, to realize that whatever God gives us is for our good. So only good things happen to those who are in Christ. Okay, going on to verses 14 and 15. It says, If any man's work which was built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. 
but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. So God does reward good works, those done according to his purposes for his glory. And I've heard some folks who don't like the idea of rewards because they think, well, that makes it a system of works. No, this is God's plan because that's what he tells us. He does reward uh, our good works. As I mentioned earlier, God gives us the gifts and the abilities. He gives us the opportunities. He gives us the fruit. And then he rewards us for it. So that's very much grace, not works. Um, I want to go through and look at some of the rewards. They're called crowns in Scripture. Let's look at some of these. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at some examples of these rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, would someone like to read verse 25 for us? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Okay, here it's called a wreath rather than a crown. That was the Olympic Games. Remember Corinth was about 40 miles, or Corinth was on that same um, archipelago that uh, Olympus was. So the Olympic Games were nearby. So they were all familiar with that. Um, the winner gets a wreath. And Paul says, I, I, I work to be a winner, to, to do well and get the wreath. And in his case, not a one that's going to fade away, like, you know, because these were like some kind of uh, leaf thing, organic that, you know, laurel. it looked laurel, I think, yeah. Laurel wreath, but they did not last. God says our, ours will last. Let's look at First Thessalonians. <laughs> Chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2, someone like to read verse 19 for us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Okay, so he's he's saying to the Thessalonians, his converts, the, the church he's poured himself into. You're going to be my crown of glory when I get to heaven. I'm going to be able to point at all you, and that's going to be my crown of glory. Uh, what do they make crowns out of? Gold, silver, and precious stones. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is not laurel leaves. This is gold, silver, and precious stones. Second Timothy. Let's go to Second Timothy. <coughs> Second Timothy, chapter four. <coughs> Someone like to read verse 8 for us. For henceforth is laid up for thee the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give thee at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Okay, so we have another crown, crown of righteousness. Who gets this one? All that love is appearing. <laughs> if you're thinking... God, please come back. <laughs> You're looking forward to the return of Christ. <laughs> You'll get this crown. I was even having a thought about the word appearing because it could even be the first appearance, the incarnation that uh -huh. you, you know, believe in and rely on too. I mean, That's... I think it I think it could be the second one, but yes. who's righteous? Those who are righteous in Christ. Those who are righteous yeah. in Christ and, and yes. Have been made righteous in yeah. Him. 
<coughs> well, let's look at First Peter. So it's not just Paul that talks about crimes. Let's look at First Peter chapter five, <coughs> and someone like to read verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay. So here's another crown that Peter's talking about. In this case, he's talking to shepherds who are shepherding the flock. Shepherds and elders here, overseers of the church. They will receive a crown. So that's Peter talking about crowns. And then finally, let's go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And someone likely verse 12. Okay, so here's Christ speaking through John, the Apostle John. I'm coming and I'm bringing my reward with me to, to dole out to those who have, um, according to what they've done. And again, wood, hay, and stubble versus gold, silver, and precious stones. So those are examples of, of rewards. <coughs> so... Those are the ones, if you've been producing gold, silver, and precious stones, you look forward to crowns. But what about those who's spent their whole lives making straw? Um, what do they get? They get their salvation. <laughs> yeah, they don't get any reward. Uh, it's all burned up. They will be saved. He himself, that's what it says in verse 15, he himself shall be saved. You don't lose your salvation by being non-productive or fruitless. Now, that's not God's desire for us, but you don't lose your salvation because of that. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. Where that is, Zechariah chapter 3. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Okay. Actually, to know the context a little better, verse 1 He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So this is a vision of, of Joshua, the high priest, in, in heaven. Remember, Zechariah was written at the same time as um, Ezra to encourage them to build the temple. Joshua was the high priest. So Satan is accusing Joshua. He's got filthy garments in verse 3. Um, but God calls Joshua a brand plucked from the fire. <coughs> Does that give you a picture of, you know, I, I hope not to be a brand plucked from the fire. It's like, okay, you're in there getting burned and singed and smoky and God pulls you out at the last minute to save you from the fire. Uh, there's going to be a few Christians like that. <laughs> um, it's like God has mercy. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Jude uh, also talks about being 
snatched from the fire. Let's, let's look at Jude. We have time to look at a couple verses here before we finish. Jude, so I'm going to read verses 22 and 23. Okay, so we're to show mercy on those who doubt. Snatch them out of the fire. You know, you're saved by the skin of your teeth. I was just thinking that term. <laughs> yeah. That's another biblical phrase, by the skin of your teeth. Um. Well, and some, you know, sometimes you, you see people and you're just like, no, don't go that way. Don't go that way, you know. Uh -huh. God, but they're saved. You know, you think of the thief on the cross. How much fruit did he produce? Not much. <laughs> he was saved. I mean, he was at the point of death, and, and, and Christ saved him. Although he's been producing for years. Yes, but as a result of him, yes, his fruit came after. Um, let's look at Second Peter, chapter one. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5, he talks about diligence and faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So someone like to read verse 8 for us. Verse what? Verse 8, First Peter, Second Peter 1, 8. For you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being impish. Inefficient, ineffective. I'm going to start over. <laughs> Please, that part. Ah, I never got my place now. Um, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So here's these, all these characteristics, which are the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, if you're growing as a believer, you will not be, I like New American Standard, you will not be useless. Or unfruitful. Or unfruitful. There's a tremendous difference between being worthless and being useless. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are worth an infinite amount to God. Never think that you're worthless. But you can be useless. That's how we live our lives. That's everything gets burned up. You know, when I stand before God, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not look at me and say, well, you were pretty useless. <laughs> oh, don't want that. So, so God saves them. They're still believers. They're saved by God's grace. It's kind of like having tire in your car and have no tread. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't do much. They don't do much, but, but the working. car, but you can still go down the other, still working. Right. In effect. So, okay, we need to stop here, so. Russ, would you like to close in prayer for us this week? Father God, we're ever thankful for this opportunity to meet on this special day that we've set aside to worship you, to learn from you. We thank you for your words today, Lord, that have, again, touched us all in one way or another, how to live our lives and how to be more productive for you, not for ourselves. We pray now for the hour to come, Lord, be with Pastor.
pastor as he brings another message from you. Through your son Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.